some people turn out a certain way because of their father, and other people turn out a certain way in spite of their father. And I think in your situation, you've turned out the way you have in spite of your biological father. You are listening to episode six of Complicated Fatherhood, an eight-episode podcast docuseries exploring how my own journey through fatherhood has been affected by the father that I never knew. And I'm your host, Ryan Rucker. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, well, I appreciate it, but I need you to stop, head back, let's start with episode one, because I don't want you to miss a thing. And at the end of the episode, if you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating, if you could. These ratings help others find this podcast, which for an independent podcaster like myself is pretty helpful. Regardless, I am honored that you chose to be here. So thank you. Now let's get into it. I grew up with a lot of questions about where my father was. I think that's pretty typical of kids who grew up without their dads. Where did they go? What are they doing? What are they like? As kids, we don't make the choices, so our curiosity is born out of the fact that, in this case, my father has left me with a whole set of questions that I will never have the answers to. In the age of the internet where you can find answers to difficult questions, I mean, if you care to, it was frustrating for me knowing that I didn't choose this. I didn't choose this life of unanswerable questions. I think that was even tougher for me knowing that with one act of atonement on his part, the questions about my life that my father inevitably had could have all been answered. His choice to leave questions about my childhood, my interests, my struggles go unanswered. Well, it never made sense to me. But miraculously, we're here. Since I was 19, our relationship has always been pretty surface level. We talk about music, his brother Garland, maybe some politics. But outside of that, we didn't share too much. I remember when he called me to tell me that him and Anne were splitting up. I thought to myself, what am I supposed to do with this information? It was tough for me to provide any comfort to a man who never once provided me any comfort. I think I mustered up a, oh man, that's tough. Not my best response. But it reminded me that our connection will likely be forever complicated. Actor Jake Johnson, in an interview with the off-camera show, spoke about his relationship with his absent father. Due to a substance abuse issue, Jake's dad contacted him at 17, apologizing for his absence, but said, I'm going to make it up to you. Jake's response? Well, he said, I punished that man for years. For years, as Jake became more successful, he wouldn't allow his dad in on a celebration. Or in his words, He wouldn't let him enjoy the party. Even as his dad would apologize for his actions, Jake said something that hit home with me. He responded by saying, great, but I'm not giving you anything. Over time, they got to share their stories. And if you find this interview where Jake tells his story, one of the most powerful parts to me is when he said, and I got to hear his childhood, and then he got to hear mine, and I wasn't nice about it. So I wouldn't say things to protect his feelings. 
knowing that he had the space to relay part of his story, the part his father was absent for, and how that absence hurt him, to me, that was therapeutic. Likely because a part of me has always wanted to tell my father my story and how his absence affected me. How I, at times, struggled growing up biracial in a predominantly white town. How navigating my first relationship was challenging. Even parts that he may have witnessed through social media but we never talked about. I wanted to tell him how I met my wife. How she's helped me become the man I am today. I guess I wanted to tell him, I mean, without guilting him or shaming him or making him feel the need to apologize again and again. Quite simply, this is what you missed. So, got some questions for you. All right, perfect. Yeah, I figured uh, today would be a good day for some questions. Uh, we'll, we'll turn the tables and okay. you know, you can ask some questions. Okay. So, you grew up as a biracial child in a primarily white environment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yep. so, how how old were you when you? realize something was a little different about you? When Uh, when did you realize that? Good question. Um, The first time that I like, that I really noticed was probably in first grade. I think it was first grade. And, you know, we were in class and I think out of our entire class, I mean, I was certainly the only black kid in the class. And there was something that came up in a book that we were reading and I was sitting in the back. We were all on the rug. It's probably like 20, 25 of us. And the, the teacher had made reference to a black character or something relating to a black person. And, you know, she, she pointed me out or like pointed out my hair, pointed out something distinctively about this character in me and I vividly remember the entire class turning around to look at me. And <laughs> that, was, that was really the first moment where I noticed, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm different. You know, I'm, I'm a lot different. And, you know, there was just like a lot of, a lot of little things like that. Um, you know, so that's something that I specifically remember. But you know, my mom had told me, it was probably a couple of years ago, she had told me a story of when I was a kid, probably around the same age, so maybe, I don't know, seven, six, seven, eight, and I was on the playground, you know, we we're playing cops and robbers, and, you know, I was playing with a, a bunch of my, my friends, and during cops and robbers, my, my friends made me be the robber, and they were all the cops. And mind you, I don't remember this. So this is, my mom had told me because I was very upset about this at the time and she remembered it. And, you know, so as we were playing, they wouldn't let me be the cop. And and in their words, it was because I look like the robber and they look like the cops. People who look like me aren't cops. 
And that was something that, that really stuck with my mom because, you know, I came home crying and I was more so crying because I wanted <laughs> in the game, I just wanted to be a cop. So right. I, you know, at the time, six or seven didn't understand the ramifications of why they wanted to make me the robber, but it was, it was pretty clear to my mom and pretty clear, especially in hindsight, looking back that like, oh, they, they, they specifically thought that like black people had to be the robbers in the scenario. And what was really fascinating to me, I think looking back is that, you know, these kids at six or seven, it's not, it's not as though they instinctively were like, Hey, we're, we're going to be racist in this moment at six or seven, but somewhere in their six or seven year old brains, they had that picture of black people being correlated with um with robbers and with bad guys and with criminals and that was something that's me you know as a 30 something year old man with kids i'm really cognizant of now which is just really interesting and so there's a lot of things like that another one that i really remember is i was a little bit older but um i had a membership to the ymca and i remember i remember i was coming out of um of the gym that I, I was there nonstop. I was there like every day during the summers <laughs> and, you know, I went to go get my, my ID. It was getting handed in. And when I asked the lady at the front desk, I was like, Oh, like, you know, do you have my ID? And she goes, Oh no, I gave it to your friend's mom. And then I look over and I go, that's, that's my mom. She was like, Oh, Oh. And she was just like really confused. And again, that's something that I vividly remember. Cause I think that was like when I was six or seven and that whole like classroom thing happened, I was confused right. by it, but I understood that I was different. And then a couple years later, when she clearly did not think that my mom, who was white, could be my mom, that was right. a moment where I was like, hmm, yeah, that's because I'm black and that's because she's white. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I remember when you were a baby. Your mother, you know, your mother told me, says she was coming out of a store with you. And this white man said to her, it's like, oh, is that one of those welfare babies? Mm -hmm. And she didn't know what, even what to say to him. She was like, no no mm -hmm. and i just i just remember thinking it's like wow growing up in glens falls he's gonna have a rough time so yeah you know yeah. it's it's more interesting now because you know growing up i i had a phenomenal childhood like to this day i love very right. i love glens falls i love lake george i love being able to go back and i try right. to get every opportunity i can i mean recently we haven't been able to get back too much but you know, I, I had a great childhood. Like I, I really think of our time growing up in Queens Victoria's Grant, like the neighborhood that I was in. Like I love my neighborhood friends. Like we would we would mountain bike throughout all the neighborhoods. We had a ton of trails. Um right, our, right. make trails, you know, between different neighborhoods. So we kind of had our own, you know, little things. Um and oh man, I just, I just absolutely loved it. And quite frankly, you know, growing up in, in the nineties, like being kids, things were, things were just different. So, you know, race certainly wasn't, you know, on my, on the top of my mind, if you will. Right, and, right, right. You know, so that was that. And like a, 
you know, one of my best friends growing up, he, um, he was uh, South, or Korean South, from South Korea. And so him and I, we really connected. We never connected over race. We were just, you know, best friends. But right, right. I feel like between the two of us and some of our other friends, like, I don't know, we just didn't think about it too much. But right. it's right. now when I, not necessarily when I go back, because I kind of stay in my pockets when I go back of, of my friends, <laughs> you know, so I don't like, right. Right. I, I've never gone back and really felt a ton of racism, but it's more when I read articles and even now, like when, you know, when I check out the post star through Facebook and I see some of, um, you know, just some, some things that occur in upstate New York that I was like, oh, geez, I, I didn't necessarily realize that growing up. I didn't realize um, why there wasn't a lot of people that look like me or why people who look like me um, maybe don't feel less comfortable back there. You know, I, I think right. the pockets that I was in, especially in Queensbury, Queensbury was phenomenal. My teachers were great. Um, you know, my mom would tell me stories now of, you know, some things that teachers would say, like, there was, I think my fourth grade teacher, um, I won't say her name, I'm not sure if she's alive, but anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, she, she had mentioned uh, that I was struggling in math, which makes sense, I, I was struggling in math. And my mom in a parent-teacher conference, you know, had talked about like, you know, some things that they could do to be able to um, help me improve my math grades. And yeah. my fourth grade teacher, like she, she told my mom straight up, well, you do know that, you know, with some of these African-American boys, they don't develop at the same rate that, you know, the other children develop, you know, wow. yeah, implying that, you know, I was instinctively slow. So the reason I wasn't getting math is because of my ethnicity. You were black. Yeah, right. Yeah. And when she said that, you know, it, it really put a lot of things in perspective because I really enjoyed a lot of my, a lot of my teachers growing up. She was probably right. the one teacher that I didn't love that I kind of look back on and just didn't feel comfortable around. Like there was a couple, but she was definitely the one that I just never felt comfortable about. And right. at the time I didn't really know why it just, she just wasn't like all that warm with me where a lot of my other teachers were. And, you know, so when my mom told me this story a couple of years ago, I go, Hmm, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sense. You know, but here was my teacher who was responsible for my education who just didn't believe that I had the ability to get it. Um, right. Yeah, and that was really interesting, especially because, yeah, I was, what, nine at the time? And she just thought because of my skin color that I just wasn't a smart. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. So, uh, as as you got older... What was when? When did you start dating, and who did you gravitate towards, or or were you the gravity, or were you know were they getting pulled towards you? Because you're a good-looking guy, you know, and you always have been. So, so it's like, was was it easy? Was it hard? Was it was it odd? Did, did you have like date people that their parents had maybe issues with you or anything good. like that? Yeah, good question. So, you know, in Queensbury, you know, I'd moved from Queensbury out to California when I was 14. So, 
you know, right, everything right. pre-14 in terms of relationships, none of that is, is serious anyway. But, you know, right, in middle right. school, like when I started having girlfriends, quote unquote, um, I don't I don't remember any issues. There was there was one one time I remember in seventh grade, there was like a there was a girl that I'd liked and you know, she I I, I think I'd expressed it to her or probably got out via a note or something and it had got back to me that you know her parents wouldn't let her date a black guy and so this was in in seventh grade and i was just like oh okay and you know it's nothing i i you know went home and told my mom about but it was just kind of like all right you know i guess i guess that's the thing and Right. <laughs> you know? I guess that's so, the way that works. Yeah. So in, in middle school, you know, I didn't necessarily notice anything specifically. And then in high school, um, you know, when I got out to California, A, my freshman year, because I moved in the middle of my freshman year, which is funny because yeah. my Queen yeah. friends don't remember remember I was there freshman year. My California friends don't remember I was there freshman year either. So I just feel like my right. freshman year was just a completely lost year. But, um, you know, when I got friends, you know, they're, you know, I kind of, well, like towards my junior year, um, I started dating somebody and that was like, you know, the, the only serious relationship I'd had through high school. And her, her parents were great, but it's, it's really funny because I'd always had, I shouldn't say always, but, you know, I just never felt like her, her parents totally trusted me. Or, or totally like me, which again, in hindsight, like as a 30 year old man, I'm like, oh, of, of course not. Like I completely understand where they were coming from. But I had kind of felt that at the time it was, it was a little bit of a race thing. And I do have to say it like over the course of a couple of years, cause we, we dated for, I think my junior and senior year. Um, and then like off and on a little bit afterwards, you know, like eventually God, I think I was, 20 or 21 like like the the four of us like me her and her parents like we actually had a sit-down conversation and it was like a really it was a really big revelation for me because in this conversation at least with them and I, I don't think this would be the case with with all people but at least with them I was able to understand that's where I felt a lot of the underlying issues in terms of why they didn't like me were race driven um, they were more so in fact, you know, of typical like high school thing, like, you know, it was their daughter, I was their son, like we were young, you know, immature, like, you know, all these different things. So, right. but for like five, six years, you know, I, I kind of felt it was a little bit of a race thing and it wasn't necessarily, I don't think it was driven by them. You know, I think it was driven by a lot of people around me, you know, um, it was more so people had kind of looked at, you know, my situation, like she was white, you know, I was black, obviously. And, you know, I think that got put into my ear from a lot of people. And right. what was, what was really interesting is, you know, I, I think now there, there are situations with a lot of people where, like I said earlier, like in, in middle school, the girl who's like, Oh, my parents just won't let me date a black guy. Like there are people like that. And, this particular, you know, these particular parents weren't like that. But unfortunately, the parents or the people who like genuinely are racist, you know, people will take those situations and put them, put that on other, on other people. 
So I had, I'd kind of grown up thinking that they just didn't like me because, you know, like maybe I was black and, you know, years later that with them certainly was not the case. So, you know, I never, you know, I I thought I dealt with it. And then it was a couple of years later when I realized I was like, oh no, that wasn't the case. It was just because, you know, I was, I was kind of immature. <laughs> I was a kid. I was, a, yeah. Yeah, I was a stupid kid. Yeah. But I, honestly, outside of that, you know, I never dealt with it too much because, you know, I, I dated her for, you know, for a while. So I didn't have like a ton of girlfriends. And, but outside of that, you know, when, when I started kind of dating and before Allie, it, you know, didn't really deal with it too much. I, I kind of gravitated I just gravitated towards people who were who were kind, like girls who were kind. So it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, I didn't have any issues regarding race or anything like that. But I didn't, I didn't date a ton. Right. Hey. So let's talk about your growing up fatherless. All right. Like when? When? How old were you when you when your mother? met your your current her her husband uh i was 13 when they met i believe um yeah i was 13 when they met and we had um you know they were doing the the distance thing for a while and um you know he was in california we were in new york and then um you know my mom and i we uh we, we moved out to California to, to be with him, you know. And did she ask? Did she ask you if you wanted to move to California, or did you just like we're we're, we're going to California? She, I don't remember it being like you know like we're moving to California. It was something like they had been dating for for a while. I think they were dating for a year and a half. So maybe they met when I was twelve. I forget, but they they were together for a while, and. You know, she she had come out to California, and um, you know, to 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 visit him. And I was still back in New York with my grandparents. And I remember, like, while she was in California, I was in New York. Um, this was the summer of two thousand, and I just remember like that whole whole summer. I think she was there for two or three weeks. And it's funny because that two or three weeks, I ended up meeting some friends that were like, that lived in a different town who to this day are still like really good friends of mine. And that whole time period was like, was kind of life-changing for me because I met some really cool people and we were hanging out every day. We were talking on AOL, it's, it's a messenger like every night, <laughs> like just that whole summer um, was just a lot of fun. And I remember coming back and you know having the conversation saying like, you know, I think... I think this is best for us. You know, I think this is best for us to, to go to California. And I didn't, I didn't fight it. You know, like I, I knew that was what we had to do. Like I, I was sad, you know, right, I right. Was, you know, hurt, upset, but um, you know, I, I don't remember, you know, like throwing a fit or anything, anything like that. You know, it was just one of those things. I was like, ah, all right, I guess this is, I guess this is what we have to do. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, was, right. I, was sad. I was sad because at that point, like, again, I just met these, these incredible friends. They, they had lived in Fort Edward. And so I just met like the, my whole like Fort Edward, Fort Edward crew. 
and we were like really good friends and I had all my Queensberry friends and I'm like, this is all I've ever known. And like I said, I really enjoyed my childhood. I, I love riding bikes. I loved going to Stewart's, getting some ice cream. Um, I loved just the people. I love my basketball team, my track team, like all these different things. And I'm like, California seems so far, especially because in New York, when people left, people went, they typically stayed in the East Coast. Like Florida was as far as I'd heard anybody go. I think one of my classmates had moved to Minnesota, I think when I was in elementary school. And I was like, whoa, they went West? Like, (laughs) you know, California seemed like another, just another world. Like it seemed like this mythical place. Another planet. Yeah. So we had, we had gone out there in November, 2000 and you know, that's um, the first time that, that I had met him in person. Like, we had talked on the phone and things like that. But, yeah, we we went out, met him, real cool guy, really gentle, really kind. And, um, you know, but th- it's it's funny you ask because my whole childhood, like, even even though you weren't around, I, I didn't often feel like that, like that, the sadness if you will that a lot of people talk about like you know like where is my dad like why did he That's leave kind of, I, was, I was gonna ask you next yeah yeah we about, we, yeah, we can talk about that i would like to talk about that actually yeah um but up until this point i never really felt that stereotypical like you know like where's my dad like I, I knew it was one of those things that like you weren't around but it wasn't something i dwelled on or thought it like it affected me until we were flying to um we were flying to california and i remember um landing and like the flight was super late i mean it was the longest flight i'd ever, I'd ever been on <laughs> right, and right. got there i was nervous to you know to meet him and then you know i meet him we say hi and he's like oh like all right i'll i'll go get the car and he goes to get the car and I genuinely felt like he was just going to leave me and my mom at the airport and just just leave. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I re- remember that I think he was gone for probably like 15 minutes because, you know, he had to go to the Oakland airport and <laughs> get his car and all these things. Right. For, that, for that 15 minutes, I remember thinking, I didn't vocalize it to my mom, but I remember thinking, I wonder if he's going to come back. And then... Wow. That was that was a moment that I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, um, I guess, you know. I have some issues of loss. Yeah, 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 especially with with male figures because my mom she she did not she did not date, so that's why I knew when you know when when he came around that it was serious, and um, but yeah, at that moment when when he had left, I was like. I wonder if he's ever going to come back for us. Is he just going to leave us here at the airport? Like, then we're going to be stuck here forever. And that was a moment I was like, oh, I've, I've, I've got some issues that I've got to work through. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, so grow, grow, growing up, when, when, did you, when did you realize that, you know, your father was gone and he was different and... He was just not here. And... Uh, when, when did I realize? Um, I don't remember one specific memory or, or points or anything like that. You know, I think if I have to go back, it's when we start doing family trees, you know, because 
a lot of my classmates, like, you know, both of their parents were around. And, you know, so when we put together family trees, which initially, of course, if a teacher says like, let's do a family tree, like it's, it's going to be a joyous occasion. Right, and right. I was like, oh, like here's my mom and dad and here are the grandparents on their sides and here are the cousins and here's all the, the branches. And, you know, on, on my family tree, it was like, you know, like my mom, my grandparents, like her two brothers, you know, my cousins. And then on like my dad's side, I think like my mom tried her best, but it was also very much like, well, I, I don't, I don't really know them. Like I knew my cousins really well on my mom's side. I knew my grandparents, obviously we were incredibly close. And then just like on the other side of the family tree, it was just like all this mystery and a little bit of shame, you know, if I'm being honest, mainly because all these people in, in my class, like they had this full, beautiful family tree that was all filled out and mine was kind of empty. And yeah, you know, that's I think weird. Because I, I was just talking to my brother, Ronnie, the one in Japan, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the, 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 the the time she got a ride from Mario Cuomo, like her wheelchair broke down and Mario Cuomo drove by or was, was riding by in the limousine and he stopped and got out to help her and they moved the, yeah, yeah. He, um, they called for a van to, to move her wheelchair because she had an electric wheelchair to, uh, to her home. And he, um, he put my mother in the limousine, said, yeah, let's give her a ride home. So, but oh. that, when I was bringing that up to Ronnie, because I was, I was watching uh, the governor, Cuomo, on TV, and I was thinking about, yeah, I got this connection with the Cuomo family. But then Ronnie told me, he said there was a time when Hillary Clinton came to Albany and she came to our church and she gave my mother an award for having the most grandchildren of anybody in the church. So, you know, it was like, yeah, if you had really done, like if you'd really known your family tree, you would have taken up a couple of pages. But, uh, Well, and I think that was kind of part of it too, is that on my mom's side, like she had two brothers, you know, at the, at the time, only one of them had any kids, he had two kids. So it was just, you know, we were small, but we were all very close. And then there was part of me on the other side of the branch. I knew that you had like eight siblings. I knew that they all had kids. I knew that like you had parents that I didn't know. Um, I think, I think my mom had like one photo of like me and your mom and maybe one photo of me and your dad um i don't think so not one not one of me not of you and my dad okay my dad didn't come back to albany till till i was i don't know in my late 30s early 40s okay yeah maybe yeah maybe she showed me pictures I, i don't know what it was but even even saying that it's like there was just so much mystery around like the other side so like even if i think of a tree like right now as i'm visualizing it like i think of like a a big tree like full of full of leaves full of greenery just like beautiful to look at and on like one side it was like totally green and healthy and on the other side i just there was a lot of mystery it was like darker it was you know just 
a lot of confusion because I just didn't know that side. So you know, I think those are some of the moments growing up when I realized it. And you know, kind of some other points was like, you know, growing up, I played basketball and, and baseball. Like those were, you know, two of the main sports that I played. And for basketball, you know, at all the, the travel games, like the AAU games, like, you know, my, my friend Bobby, his, his dad was a coach of our team. My friend Maddie, his, his dad was also a coach. Like all of the, the guys on the team, like all their dads were, were there and mine clearly wasn't. Um, right. you know, and then in baseball, kind of same thing. Like this was um, every year they, they pick an all-star team and I never made the all-star team. And it always made me mad because I knew I was one of the best kids out there, but every single kid that made the all-star team in Queensbury, their dad was a coach. Like, and I'm not talking about like most of them, every single kid that was on the all-star team, their dad coached. And so there was a part of me that felt like the only reason I wasn't making the all-star team. And I, I mean, I I don't think about it (laughs) anymore. Um, But to this day, I I genuinely believe that it was all the dads getting together and, and picking their kids. And right, right. Mine, yeah, mine I mean, to tell you the truth, if if I was there, you probably still wouldn't have been on it because I probably would have never been a baseball coach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was, um, you know, so that was kind of another moment in my childhood where, you know, I, I really saw, you know, that not having you around was um, was impacting me. And of course, not making the all-star team was was very impactful as a kid. Looking back now, it's kind of funny. But, you know, it did it did mean a lot to me. And I think basketball more than anything, mainly because my mom worked, you know, she had like three jobs at one point and she never missed, never missed anything. Like I would have traveled, you know, we would have um, tournaments up in Peru, obviously not the country, Peru, New York. And yeah, right, right. She would, she would get there. Like I had AAU games, uh, practices every Thursday night when I was in eighth grade in, oh, was it Boston, was it Boston Spa or um, I'm forgetting the town, but it was probably like 45, 50 minutes away from where we lived. And every Thursday night she would take me there and then she would hang out in the car for an hour and a half during practice. And then we would drive home. Like she just, she didn't miss anything. So when I would go to these games, when I would do all these things, when I'd hit game winning shots, when I'd like have incredible plays, like all these other dads were there and mine wasn't. And right. those were some moments that like really kind of stick out to me as a kid. All right. Wow. Hey, so when, when you first heard about the Jones brothers, what did you think? Uh, what was your uh, first thoughts? You know, what was really interesting for me is like, I knew you were into music. I knew that you're a musician. Yeah. And, but to, to actually hear some of the music for the first time, that was that really that first moment where I was like, oh, regardless of whether you were in my life or not, like, I clearly got that musical gene from you. So right. it was really weird for me to to hear some of your music and just think about like god i can't believe that like even after all these years with like no connection like here i am wanting to do a career in music and you are too and i think the most fascinating part to me is that when i really started getting into music my mom was always incredibly supportive of like anything like anything i wanted to do and i mean yeah. growing up, I didn't 
do a ton of things. I think I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to be in the NBA for a bit. And she was like, oh yeah, sure. Like, you know, you're gonna have to work really hard, but okay. Um, then I, I to- real, Really quickly, I remember like when you were, like, I don't even know if you were born yet, but I was talking about you being a musician. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't want him doing that. I don't want him playing in bars. I don't want him. I just don't want him to do that. I prefer he do sports. So well, that is background. Yeah. And that's really interesting because then as I started getting more into music and like recording stuff like that, you know, I just, I never felt that she was like totally supportive. Like she never told me not to do it. She never was like, you know, I don't approve of this, but it was very clear um, that she just either didn't like the music or just didn't enjoy it or whatever. And, you know, it kind of hurt me because I was so into it. Like I love writing music. Like I would take my closet and I would go to, you know, Home Depot or wherever and I would pick up you know, all like the, the eggshell crates, you know, to put them in my closet to soundproof it. Like I would get all this, you know, equipment, like as, you know, as cheaply as I could find it and set up incredibly, you know, bootleg recording studios. <laughs> they, they really worked. And, and I was so into it. And right. so I put all my heart and soul into writing these musics, producing all the music, um, you know, everything. So I pour all my energy into it and my mom was just kind of like, Oh, like, yeah, that's cool. And it always, yeah, right. yeah, it always bothered me. And it wasn't until, you know, I think it was like a, a couple of years later where like something clicked in me. And I think this was kind of once I started slowing down on doing music, when it clicked for me, I was like, Oh, okay. So the reason that like she, you know, wasn't really into to me doing music was probably because of you. Right. And that was, that was like a, a really interesting revelation on my standpoint, because then all this like years of, uh, of her and like disappointment on my end in terms of her, like not really being into what I was into was, was put in, into perspective. But you know, it was, um, it was really interesting for me to look at how, you know, 20 years at this point of, of her, from her was, was kind of pouring into, you know, her, um, her support of my music. And from my standpoint, I was like, I'm just into music. Like, I just want you to support me. And she did, but it was very much like, a, I, I always knew that she didn't love it. But then I realized, right. oh, it wasn't because of me. It was because of you. Because of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. That was always interesting for me. Oh, man. So let's talk about you. Let's <laughs> talk. I mean, there's some, some questions I want to ask you. Like we talked about, like, you meet in the alley and. Mm-hmm. so on and so forth and your fatherhood all right cool so where do you want me to start uh start with moving from Vacaville to, to san francisco oh yeah um yeah so in 2010 i was in well 2009 to 2007 was pretty crazy i moved down to rancho cucamonga 
for uh, for a job. I was working in retail at what's, the time. What's, what's Rancho Cucamonga? Rancho Cucamonga is, I don't know, about 30, 40 miles outside of LA. It's close to Riverside. And, you know, at the time I was single, didn't have just a ton going on in Vacaville. And so I took a job down in, yeah, down in Rancho, moved down there for a couple months. But then the store I was working for at the time, they actually had an opening in Lake George. That was, they were, uh, they had a store opening that was coming up. And again, single, didn't have a lot going on. I was like, oh, like, that'd be a really cool opportunity to go back to Lake George, hang out with my friends, you know, just be back in, you know, in the place I love. And I was like, you know, I'll stay out there for a little bit, maybe like, you know, two or three years and then end up coming back to California. That was kind of my goal. Yeah. And, you know, so I went in early 2010, went to Lake George, lived with my grandparents for, for a couple months. And after a couple months, it was, it just, it just wasn't working out. And uh, the store I was working at didn't love manager, didn't love. Um, and on top of that, it was really strange because, you know, I had all these childhood friends who I was like, oh, like I was really close with. And, you know, it, it was such a cool opportunity to go back and spend some time, you know, with them. But, you know, I've realized in that previous nine years or so that they had grown up, I had grown up, they had their right. own life, I had my own life, and it wasn't any any knock, like I still hung out with a lot of them, but like they had their own circles. And, you know, I kind of realized that my circles were still back in California. So right. after a couple months, I ended up coming back to California and I was like, I'll, I'll just kind of figure out what's next. And, you know, I was back in California for, I think like two or three weeks. And then, you know, I got a job um, working at another retail store and they had an opening down in San Francisco. My, uh, the, the district manager who ended up hiring me was like, Hey, like San Francisco is the place for you. Like, you don't, you don't want to be in Vacaville, <laughs> like at that store. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So I moved down in summer of 2010 and got my own studio apartment in San Francisco had my keys, my own place. And it was like, it was really cool. I lived pretty close to the water. I lived close to AT&T Park where the San Francisco Giants were playing. I lived close to downtown. Like I remember that first night in my apartment, I was like, I can't believe I'm living in San Francisco. It was just, <laughs> you know, I never, never expected that. I kind of expected that I'd live in a city one day, but I always thought that city would be San Francisco or sorry, I always thought that city would be either New York or LA, like San Francisco, just, I don't know, it was never top of my mind, but I'm so glad that I ended up moving there. So yeah, I was there for a couple months. And then November of 2010, I went down to LA, um, my best friend Demario was having a birthday party. And so me and a couple friends from Vacaville, we drove down to LA. We're like, oh, let's just have this crazy weekend. And it certainly was a very crazy weekend. He had uh, just two birthday parties. I mean, he, he, was, he was LA to a T. You know, he's just yeah. like, when you think of LA, like you think of DeMario. And so I was like, oh, I'll just have a great weekend. Never expecting in a million years that I would end up meeting my future wife right. <laughs> at one of those parties. So the, the second night, I think it was actually, not, I think it was November 20th, 2010. Um, he was having a birthday party, his second birthday party uh, at his apartment. And a girl that went to high school with me and DeMario and a bunch of, a bunch of the rest of us 
she was living down in the LA area, wanted to go to this party, but didn't want to go alone. So she asked her roommate, Allie, if she wanted to go with her. And she was like, yeah, I'll go. And so, yeah, her and Allie ended up coming. Allie and I ended up meeting that night. Allie swears that she walked in the door and saw me and was like, oh, who's that guy? And so she swears that she like kind of initiated things. But yeah, yeah, I also remember looking at her and she was standing with a bunch of girls I knew. And here was this one cute girl in the middle of all them that I did not know. So I was like, oh, let me go chat and see what's up with this girl. And so, yeah, we ended up chatting and, you know, we, uh, we ended up connecting over a couple things because, you know, she had mentioned that she went to APU, which is Azusa University down in like the LA Pasadena area. And so yeah. when she said APU, I was like, wait a minute, that's a Christian school. And this certainly was not a Christian party, if you will. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. But like, I, you know, I don't drink, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, get right. too crazy or anything like that so here i was at this party that you know was, was pretty crazy and she was like oh I, I graduated from apu and when i was living down in rancho cucamonga it was funny because a friend of mine nadine got me involved with this uh this this ministry called young life so i was actually on apu campus while Allie was on apu campus like going to school and i was just helping out and i was involved in young life for a couple months so i knew a ton of apu like students so i was like oh you know nadine and she's like oh my best friend was like roommates with nadine so we ended up connecting over a bunch of mutual connections so we started chatting and there's a bunch of people around us and then slowly but surely like all these other people around us started leaving and then like before I knew it, it was like two hours in and just her and I were talking, you know, about God and about life and all these things in the middle of all this craziness. And, you know, but she had actually yeah, lived down in LA at that point. And I, you know, just moved to San Francisco. And, you know, so we exchanged numbers and, you know, she actually had family that lived in the Bay Area. Her brother lived in San Francisco. Her mom worked in San Francisco. So, you know, she came up to, to the city I think it was January. So it was like two months later and she texted me. She was like, Hey, I'm actually going to be in the city. Like you want to meet up? I was like, Oh, for sure. So we had a meeting up and you know, like went out. And then a couple months later, I went down to LA to, to go see Demario again and then made some time to be with her. And then a month later she came up to San Francisco. So it was kind of like this whole back and forth thing. And then after a couple months, it was like, all right, I, I think there's something here. And you know, one night it was, me and my mom stepped out we were going to yankees and a's game baseball game and i was i was texting with Allie that that day and she was like oh how about we bet on tonight's game because she was an a's fan i'm a yankees fan and i was like all right let's yeah let's do it so if the yankees win you have to send me like a care package you know from from la and if the a's win then i'll send you a care package from san francisco she's like all right deal so then uh, Yankees ended up winning that night. And that, that night, um, I, was, I was taking the, the BART home, which is the public transportation system. And she was like, hey, yeah. like, you can Skype tonight. I was like, yeah, we can Skype. So we ended up getting on Skype, and we were just, like, talking for a little bit. And then I ended up telling her, I was like, you know what? Like, I, I think I like you. I think, uh, you know, I, I think I'm kind of into you. And she was like, I think I'm kind of into you as well. So, yeah, we ended up um just talking about it like you know what's this look like you, like you live in LA I don't have any plans to move into LA 
I lived in San Francisco. She at the time didn't have any plans to move to San Francisco. But, you know, we, we were talking for a little bit and it's funny how just things come into place because this is early June, 2011. And, you know, she just started to feel this, this uneasiness being down in LA and, you know, all of her family was, was in the Bay area. So she just started kind of like thinking about it a little more. She claims outside of me, she claims I had nothing to do with this, but you know, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like I might have some. But she tells me I'm wrong. So, um, you know, she ended up deciding after, I think like two, two weeks or so, it was mid-June. She was like, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to move to San Francisco. And it's, and it's funny because it all, like that whole two weeks, it culminated in her friend Kelly, you know, reached out to her so randomly and was like, hey, I'm thinking of moving to San Francisco. I want to move to San Francisco. And I thought of you we should move to San Francisco together. And mind you, Kelly didn't know that like she was talking, you know, to this guy in San Francisco. So, right, right, right. All these things are coming up and, you know, it, she ended up deciding to make that move. So she told her family, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm coming up to the Bay. Like I'm, I'm moving back. Let's do this. I'm moving to San Francisco. And, you know, she decided to do that. And then on uh, June 21st of 2011, uh, her dad passed away. Yeah. And, you know, it was just, it was a really, really wild time because it was pretty, pretty unexpected. And, you know, we were just in the middle of all this newness and this whole time we were, you know, we'd been planning the next time I see you, like, that's when I'll ask you out. So up until this point, we were just kind of like talking, but, but we knew what we do. So our whole thing, I think she was going to come up on like, I think like July 2nd or July 6th or something like that. And so the whole plan was she was going to come up. I was going to ask her out. We were going to make it official. But then, yeah, her dad passed. And so that night on June 21st, she ended up flying, flying up to, to the city. And June 22nd, the next morning at 6, I actually had a flight. To the city. To the city. Yeah, San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so she was she was flying up on June 21st, and then the, the next morning, June 22nd, I actually had a flight to New York. So I was going to go out to New York for a week uh, for my cousin's graduation. And so she ended up coming up, and she's like, hey, you know, I, I'll, I'll be up there. And I asked her, I was like, I, I know it's, it's crazy, but since I'm going to be gone for the next week, and you're going to be in the city, is there any chance, like, I'll do anything, like, can, can I see you? So her friend M actually uh, picked her from the airport. And before she went over to her brother's house, she swung, she swung by uh, my apartment. And I think it was at like 10. Yeah. And mind you, like I had to get up the next morning at like three or four. And so she came by and she was, you know, upset and, you know, crying. But it was, it was really weird because there was also this weird energy in terms of us because we knew that the next time we saw each other, like we were going to make it official and we just never expected right. it under these circumstances. So, you know, I just told her, I was like, look, like, I know I'll be in New York. I know we'd be up here, but I just want to let you know that, you know, while you're here and while you're dealing with all this, like you've got a boyfriend that really cares about you. And, you know, she smiled and, you know, had our first kiss that night. Very, I mean, just, quick heck and um that was it and then she she took off and you know it was weird because when i was in new york you know i was was chatting with her 
and we were like texting and on the phone a lot so we were getting to know each other but she was also in in the midst of all this grief and you know it was strange because the rest of her family was obviously dealing with it as well but at the same time like she also had this like this newness of a relationship that was forming it was it was just a really strange time so you know anyway when i ended up coming back and she ended up moving to san francisco um you know, we just really had to process it. But what was really strange is after I came back, you know, the, you know, I, I ended up going to her dad's funeral and I'd never met him. And what was really strange is while, while we were there, you know, we're, we're sitting in the front row of the, of this church that they went to. So it's, you know, Allie, her sister, sister's boyfriend at the time, husband now, uh, her brother and, and his girlfriend, the mom. So like the immediate family, and then I, I know, I know that there were, you know, a couple hundred people that were sitting behind us who were looking at me like, wait, who's this like, dude? Who the hell? Well, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. yeah like, because it was so new for Allie and I that like, she didn't even have a chance to tell many people that like we were dating. Like her, her close friends knew, but I'd never met her, her friends. I hadn't met her sister. I'd only met her mom very briefly passing once so mind you the first time i met the majority of important people in her life were at her dad's funeral wow that's weird it it was and for me it was really strange because like here i was getting to know her dad like at at his own funeral and so i'm sitting there while like the rest of the family is obviously feeling this deep grief and i'm sitting there like oh god yeah i obviously feel terrible for them but for me it was like it was just all so strange because i'm seeing all these pictures i'm hearing all these stories and hearing just like what a funny and kind man he was right right god like i'm uh, this really really sucks that i never got to meet him but at the same time i'm really just focused on Allie and just like look look, look, like be with her because while the rest of the family you know even the significant others like they're all feeling with because they all knew him like here i come into the picture and i was like you know, I I don't know. So I wasn't grieving like they were. So, you know, I really got to kind of be with her. But just the next couple months were very confusing because, you know, the newness of a relationship is so much fun. And I knew from the get go, like, this was something that was serious. Like, even, a, even I think like a month or two in, like, I purchased the domain. This sounds crazy to say now. Um, and I, I get that when it's coming out of my mouth. But I purchased the domain ryanandally.com because I was like, I, I'm going to marry her. Like, I know this. So <laughs> I purchased that domain. And, you know, so that just shows you kind of where my, where my head was at. But at right, the same right. time, you know, we would just be, you know, out to dinner and all of a sudden, like, she would just, like, burst into tears. You right. know, or a sense, you know, she would, she would smell in, in a room and remind her of her dad and she would just burst into tears. And... Oh, it was, it was just a strange, strange time period um, with her moving to San Francisco and me living in San Francisco in a new relationship and you know, just kind of navigating all of that. So, uh, it was, it was a crazy time period. Wow. Yeah. And then, then you asked her when to marry you. Yeah. So on uh, November 9th, 2012, I popped the question. So, you know, like I said, I'd known for a while that this was, that I was kind of leaning this way, but we also wanted to date. We also wanted to just enjoy right. time. Together. You know, she had her own place in San Francisco. I had my own place in San Francisco. 
you know, and it was just such a fun time period. So I was like, you know, we're, we're not trying to rush into anything, but right. you know, around that year mark, it was kind of like, all right, like, we should probably start thinking of, of what's next. So, you know, we, we were talking about it the whole time. So she didn't know how it was going to happen or when it was going to happen or anything like that. But like, she, she certainly knew it was coming. And then yeah, November 9th, 2012, I, um, there was like some, some big event for work was, I think we were opening up like this big store and it was like a pretty big deal. And, um, Sorry, the dogs are barking in the background. <laughs> yeah, so it was a pretty big deal. So what I told Allie was a bunch of corporate people are coming into town and, you know, we're going to go out to this big fancy dinner and, like, they want her to come. And so she was like, all right, cool. So after work, she worked downtown San Francisco. So I was like, you know, let's meet after work. Um, it was this place called Epic Steakhouse that was right on the water in San Francisco, right in front of the Bay Bridge. It's like a beautiful, beautiful location. And so I ended up meeting her on the Embarcadero. We're walking, we're walking. And what's really cool is that her, her roommate slash friend, Kelly, is a phenomenal, phenomenal photographer. So her and I had kind of planned this whole thing where I was like, all right, like Kelly, if you could go and like take pictures and videos, of like the whole thing like that would be awesome so kelly actually got there early and she she set up a video and snuck it like you know kind of this area where she couldn't see and kelly was like oh i'll be there and i'll take photos of the whole thing so we can document it all and what's really cool is kelly and i didn't know this beforehand kelly had actually paid this random tourist 20 bucks to say, hey, can you sit here and just look at the water? And I'm going to put the camera on your right side. So as Allie and Ryan are approaching, like, Allie doesn't just see a random camera at the spot in front of the Bay Bridge and kind of get an idea. So I'm walking up, and I've got the ring in the pocket. I've got the whole thing down. And also, I see this dude sitting in a chair. And I'm like, who is this man? <laughs> I saw Kelly at a distance. And I was like, oh, I think she is like having him be a distraction. So all of a sudden I, I get to my mark, turn Allie around, you know, did the whole spiel, um, you know, got down on one knee, took out the ring, popped the question. And, um, you know, she, she said yes. And then she saw Kelly, like Kelly came out she's taking photos and I asked Kelly, like, like, who is this guy? And she was like, oh, I paid it. Like, I paid him 20 bucks to just sit there <laughs> to block the view. And um, so it was just, it was so much fun. And then we went to the Embarcadero building afterwards. And a couple of her best friends were there. You know, so she got to celebrate with them. And then we got in the car. And we're like, let's drive over to your brother's house. Your brother lived in this great apartment in San Francisco. And like, you know, we'll, we'll drive over to your brother's house and we can see him. And we get there and her mom had put this like incredible sign that was on the door saying, congratulations, we're engaged. And then we walk in the door and we had uh, created a whole surprise party, surprise engagement party. So, you know, oh, nice. yeah. So my parents were there, all of her best friends we're there, um, you know, a couple of my best friends were there and we just had this huge engagement party. Uh, so the whole night was just a total shock to Allie because she thought we were doing like this whole work event and then we ended up getting engaged and having a surprise party. And I'd also put together this whole engagement video with the spoken word that I did and a bunch of videos and pictures of us over the past year and a half. So 
yeah, that was the, uh, the beginning of it. And but again, oh. it was, you know, interesting because in the middle of all this joy, you know, she, out of her three siblings, was also the first to get engaged. Um, you know, it all came after her dad passing. So it was just kind of, you know, who's, who's going to walk her down the aisle? And just kind of all those, like, father-daughter things that you kind of dream about, that she had dreamed about her whole life, just like right, right there. So right. Again, kind of navigating, you know, the complications around this joyous season in the midst of just heartbreak. So you first found out she was pregnant with Reagan. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we got married in, on August 3rd, 2013, um, lived in, in San Francisco for another year, and then we ended up buying a home in Vacaville, which is where, you know, I went to high school. We always knew that we'd kind of end up back there. You know, we just didn't think it would be so soon, but the economy started to kind of get a little better. Home prices were going up, and we're like, you know, look, this might be the time to, to purchase. So we ended up, um, you know, reaching out to some people, you know, our offer ended up getting accepted way sooner than we thought. So we're like, all right, like, I guess we're doing this. So yeah, I moved up to Vacaville 2014, you know, spent some time together just, you know, for, yeah, a little over a year and a half. And then we're kind of like, all right, let's, let's, let's maybe try to, to start having some kids. And, you know, it happened a little bit quicker than, than we had, we had thought, but I was incredibly excited. So yeah, we had found out, I think it was December 1st, 2015 that, you know, we were pregnant and you know ray ray came along on august 5th 2016 you know my, my little girl you know we had found out around february so i think it was when we were like 13 weeks in 13 or 14 we had found out that we were having a girl and i was so excited you know i'd always wanted a girl didn't really care i just wanted you know the, the kid to be healthy but right right i just i had this feeling it was a girl and yeah, you know, the second she was like, you know, it's it's a girl. We were just like, all right, that's Reagan. That's our Reagan. Um, you know, and her name is actually Reagan Nadine. Because, you know, like I told you about earlier when Allie and I first met, like the first person we ever connected over was um our friend Nadine. And oh, just, okay. Nadine was like the coolest, she was the coolest person like ever. And um just really, you know, just just the type of person who um, you know, I went to church with her here in Vacaville and her and I always, you know, politically, we're typically on the, the same mindsets. And, you know, she would just ask a lot of tough questions of people of in authority. Like, I, I just love Nadine. And um, so mind you, when Allie and I first first met, you know, we both connected over our love of Nadine and just how awesome she was. And then um, and when Allie and I first started dating, one of our first kind of things together, we went to her best friend Daly's wedding and um, Daly was Nadine's roommate. So we actually got to see her and it was funny for, for Nadine because here she was with all of her like APU, like her Southern California friends. And all of a sudden here, her vacable friend shows up and she was like, wait a minute, what, what, why, why are you here? And I was like, oh, actually funny enough, I just started dating Allie Fish. And she was like, get out of here so that night we just had so so much fun and um just having great conversation and she was like i'm so happy for you like we had all all sorts of conversations about relationships and past and everything and you know she was just like i'm so happy for you um and then sadly enough uh about two months later she was actually killed in in, in an accident uh, yeah and you know that's interesting because actually, when you said 
was when you were talking about her, I'd like, like, what happened to her? Like, she sounds like such a good friend. How come she's still not in your life? So that's why. Yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking because I'm telling you, like, Nadine was just, she was just a phenomenal friend. She was just, just unbelievable. I, I, I can't say enough high praises about her. Um, so when, when she passed, very, very unexpectedly, obviously, um, it was just heartbreaking. And again, it was right after Allie and I started dating. And I remember like right afterwards, and this is when Allie and I first started dating. I was like, if we ever have, if we ever have a girl, like her middle name has to be Nadine. And she was like, I agree. So mind you, this is 2011. So 2016, five years later, we found out we're having a girl and we, we knew it was Reagan Nadine. Just that was her. And, um, yeah, so, you know, Ray was born in, in August of 2016, right before my birthday. And it's funny because when Allie and I were dating, we would talk about kids. You know, we started dating when I was 24 and she was 22. And she'd be like, you know, like, when do you, you know, what about kids? Like, do you want kids? I was like, oh, for sure. She was like, when would you want to have kids? And I was like, uh, I don't really know, but I just know I want my first kid before 30. And she at the time, mind you, she was 22, 23. And she was like, mm, I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> so when we got pregnant and then the doctor was like, yeah, due date, August 5th, 2016. Ellie <laughs> goes, you've got to be kidding me. Nine days before your 30th birthday? I was like, yeah. And Ray was born on her due date. So nine days before I turned 30. So I, uh... Nice. existence and it happened but man I was I was so excited and you know just because I was always looking forward to being a dad and you know it was really interesting because at this point like you know we would certainly we, you know you and I would talk every couple months and things like that right. but there was always this anytime I would hear about like you know people growing up fatherless you know, there was always like a part of me that it would just kind of like sting a little bit. And now here is my opportunity to, to be a dad. And I don't know, I think there was something within me that really wanted to just prove the world wrong. And you wanted, you wanted to break the cycle. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, and so that was something I, I really, really thought about. And honestly, would probably take a lot of therapy sessions to, to go through to be able to understand what that really means. But even when Allie and I were going through premarital counseling, you know, they talked a lot about family of origin. And I'd never thought about family of origin, mind you, because again, at this point, like I'm doing pretty good. I've got my own place in San Francisco. I've got a good job. Like I'm doing well. So I'm thinking everything's good. And then going through that whole family of origin and how those who have been in your life and even those who aren't in your life really has an effect on your future kids, your future family, like your future life. So throughout the whole premarital counseling process, that's when I started to understand how much you, regardless of whether you were around or not, like you still played a very important part of my life. And so as we're gearing up for, you know, for fatherhood, as I'm gearing up for fatherhood, as we're gearing to bring Reagan into the world, I was never scared. I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh, am I ever going to be able to do this? Like there are, you know, I, I hate to say it, but there are idiots all over this world who are raising kids. And I'm like, I, I know, I know I'm not, oh, yeah. I can do this. I, I'm, I'm yeah, not afraid right. of that. But I always wanted to just really ensure that our kids grew up in an environment that mom and dad loved each other 
They grew up, you know, where, where I was around. I was at every, whether it be sporting events or ballet or piano or mathlete competition, like whatever, like I was there. Like that is, that's my number one goal. Um, so the second that she came and I looked at her and got to hold her, I'm like, this is it. Let's go. I'm a dad now. So, you know, that was, that was big. And, you know, just kind of navigating what, uh, what parenthood looked like, you know, with, with Allie, what our marriage looked like, um, you know, just cause obviously everything's, everything's different. Like she's from just like a physical standpoint, like the, the burden that goes into the, the labor, the labor that goes into labor is Right, right. And the recovery process is is intense, and you know, so just figuring out how to support both Allie and Reagan, and you know, all of that. And I, I will say, I think the one nervous thing about it, I was like, oh god, oh, I can never mess up on my job because I, I need to make sure I can pay the bills <laughs> for you know, right. the house, and you know, so it was um, it was fun. But man, I ju- I just love spending time with Ray. I just love being able to you know show her new things and. I remember my buddy Nate when I first told him that we were pregnant and he had had a, a kid of his own at that point. I'll never forget. We were playing basketball and he was like the coolest thing about becoming a dad and a parent is you get to experience all the things that you loved about childhood again, but through your kid's eyes, which is like the most joyous thing that you can ever experience. And I remember him right. saying, I was like, Man, like growing up in Queensbury, out in Queen, Queens Victoria's Grand, like I love being able to ride bikes through, uh, through the trails and you know through the neighborhood. And just yesterday, I was outside with Ray, just you know on her tricycle, like teaching her how to ride a bike. And you know, man, I love being able to go through the woods and explore. And you know, Ray and I are constantly in the woods, just exploring. And I loved animals, and I love being able to see new animals and learning about new animals. And Every day, Ray and I are learning about animals. Last night, I was Googling facts about sharks because she was asking me all, all about sharks. So I was like, let's, let's look them up. And so here's all these things that I just loved about childhood that I'm now getting to re-experience uh, with, with Ray. And now, of course, you know, not only Reagan, but then, you know, just uh, last summer, June of, of 2019, we welcomed our second daughter, Sienna, into the world. And... Um, you know, Sienna, same thing now. Now I get to see it through through two kids' eyes and two girls. And uh, I just, I love it. I love it. But, you know, it's funny because I think, and this is something I really have to check with myself, is that really over the past like two years or so, I've been really trying to get into that dad space and just like connecting with other dads through through Instagram mainly and who I just like really admire and kind of take encouragement from. And one thing I have to really check within myself is like, you know, Am I trying to be super dad because I'm I'm trying to prove to the world that like that I'm around that I am a dad, right. like, dad and I'm like, not gonna leave like there's certainly a part of me that feels like when people look at me you know especially because you know my girls are a quarter black so if I'm not around like there's some people that might not necessarily think that they're black at right. all you know and right. you know there, it's there's a level of confusion there I think for me only because of what other people have said to me, like, I've had people come up to me and say, like, oh, like, you, they don't even look black, or, like, you don't even look like their dad, and, like, right, these are people, right. you know, I wouldn't say close friends, but, like, these are people who know me, I'm like, why in the world would you say something like that, so there's always, whether it's how they look, or the fact that 
I grew up fatherless. Like all these different things are coming together now in my own fatherhood. So the thing I have to check with myself is, am I doing this for them or am I doing this for other people's approval? Um, you know, and so, and that's something I'm, I'm constantly having to check with it myself to make sure that, you know, I'm not being that dad, like that, that Instagram dad, that's just doing all these things, taking all these pictures to show other people, or am I really trying to create memories for my two girls? You know, which, you know again, what, when, when you were born, I just remember being scared all the time. Really? That was like, that was one of the things that, when Jean told me she was pregnant, I was scared. When when we went to the hospital, when they were delivering you, I was scared. Uh, when you when you came, they told me you had a heart murmur, and you had to sleep with this machine mm. attached to you. And I'd be laying in bed at night, scared because I don't I don't hear anything from your room. Then. You would roll over and pull off one of the leads and the thing would go off and I'd freak out. I would just go into a panic. And I just remember like this, it was just a really kind of, you know, me and your mother weren't getting along and, you know, me and her family weren't getting along. And I was working sort of like, you know, probably a four or $5 an hour job, you know, whatever this minimum wage was at the time. And I just felt like I was like just losing, like I was just a loser across the board. And I, I, and I, it's like I got two more kids that I've already left. I don't want this to happen again. And as it started to happen again, I was like, oh my god! I remember one time just riding down the street. I think I might have told you this, and the song "Fast Cars" was on. Mm. And I started crying, just sitting in my car. I was I was working at West Mountain Sales, mm-hmm. and part of my deal was I had a loaner car. They they gave me a little BMW to drive around, mm-hmm. and um, and I just remember hearing the song "Fast Car," you know the Tracy Chapman song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you you know about the lyrics to that, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah, and I just remember sitting in my car, just crying. And I remember some a car pulled up next to me, and this woman was sitting in the passenger side, and she looked over at me. She had like this, like, "Oh my God, what the hell's wrong with this guy?" Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, I just, you know, and I actually remember being fearful when Adrian was born. Because, like, when she came out, she looked purple and her head looked all misshaped. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And it was like my first child. And I'm like, well, that's, I guess that's how babies come out. But, yeah, I, I, my, my fear of how I grew up, I, it's like, it's like I, I, I it's like I almost always knew that something like that was going to happen to my kids because it happened with me, it happened with my father, and it happened with my father's father. You know, none of us grew up with a father. And uh, so, sorry, I just, I had to get, get that out. 
No, no, I appreciate that because it's um, it's interesting looking at, you know, just the the psychology behind that, and you know, it's especially because my my whole life really, like, I always knew I wanted to be a dad. I always knew at one point, like, I would I would have kids, and there was just such a huge part of me that was like, I'm going to break that cycle. So I think, you know, just decades in, years in uh, of finally getting to that point where, you know, now I've, now I've got my girl, now I've got my two girls, now I've got the home. Like there's, um, there's been a lot of work on my part to, to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to break that cycle. So, you know, my girls right. grow up and they, they don't, they don't know a life without me in it. That's my goal. Next time on Complicated Fatherhood. I got my 20 questions for you. What are you most proud of? Who is your number one hero? Uh, what do you take for granted? Favorite song. What's your biggest missed opportunity? Who is your favorite teacher and why? How am I going to explain this to, to my kids one day? Complicated Fatherhood was written, recorded, and edited by me, Ryan Rucker. All music was composed and recorded by me as well. Join us for the conversation on Instagram, at Complicated Fatherhood. And if you like what you hear, I'd love for you to share this podcast on any of your favorite social media platforms using the hashtag Complicated Fatherhood. We'll see you next time.